Hey everyone, welcome to this week's chapter by chapter recap where we are taking a look at Jeremiah 10 through 31. My name is Corey Babechko, if you don't know, and I am here with my husband, Matlock Babechko. Hey. Hey. Are you excited for Jeremiah? I am excited for Jeremiah. That's, that's <laughs> it's a nice big chunk. We're not yeah. finishing Jeremiah this week. We'll finish Jeremiah next week, but this is a nice big chunk of Jeremiah, and there's so much. Yeah, there are a lot of Messianic prophecies, I've noticed. So much to yeah. cover in Jeremiah. So we're remembering that Jeremiah is the prophet that's alive during the last few kings of the kingdom of Judah, which of course the capital city is Jerusalem. And he is prophesying, he has been prophesying the end of Judah and Jerusalem that's going to be brought by the Babylonian empire, the Neo-Babylonian empire that's going to come in and besiege Jerusalem. So this is what Jeremiah is talking about. And the thrust of, of his message is surrender to Babylon and live because this is God's judgment against all of the sin and unrepentance that has been in the land. So that's that's the overall broad sweeping scoop of Jeremiah. So now let's get into some of these individual chapters. All right, Jeremiah chapter 10. So this is Jeremiah and God encouraging the people not to be afraid of foreign gods or foreign idols because God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. So he is so much greater than than any conceived God or, or any other lesser God. So, uh, you know, the, the idols themselves in this chapter, Jeremiah is like the, the idols themselves have been made out of things that God himself has created. They have no power uh, over God or even compared to God. Uh, And then Jeremiah goes on to talk about how it's God bringing the Babylonian destruction. So even though it's going to be at the hand of the Babylonians that Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is destroyed, don't credit that destruction uh, to the strength of Babylon's gods. No, God has called for the people of Babylon to come. He's using their initiative and their anger and their their war machine to to bring his own judgment. So Jeremiah then wraps up chapter 10 by praying that God won't let Babylon get away with their own evil because Jeremiah is recognizing and struggling with the fact that God is using an evil nation to judge uh, his own people. Jeremiah chapter 11, uh, God has Jeremiah walk through Jerusalem explaining the, the covenant that the people are supposed to have with God and how exactly it is that they have abandoned it. Uh, we hear that because of this, because of Jeremiah's prophecies, there's a plot, uh, uh, a a conspiracy to get Jeremiah killed that has been launched by his own hometown. So the people here, people where he grew up hear that this is what he's doing and saying in Jerusalem. So they hatch a plan to kill him. But God tells Jeremiah about it and has Jeremiah prophesy their destruction. So his his own hometown is going to be destroyed, which was likely fulfilled in the Babylonian invasion that followed in 586 B.C. Jeremiah chapter 12, here we see Jeremiah very boldly lodging a complaint with God and against God. And essentially it's, God, why do you allow the wicked 
to prosper. Now, because of where this is placed in Jeremiah, the immediate context seems to point to the fact that Jeremiah is referring to the people who are trying to assassinate him, right? The people who are trying to kill him. So his family, his hometown, why are these people prospering? Uh, They're wicked. Like, how how are you allowing this to happen? So, God answers Jeremiah in a really interesting way. First, he tells him that he needs to toughen up, uh, that that God has bigger plans for him than, than just his hometown and his family, and so he needs to toughen up. But also that God does and will ultimately bring justice and his righteous judgment to all mankind. So this will be dealt with. You just may not be seeing it right now in your time, but it will be dealt with. Jeremiah chapter 13, here the prophet is told to do an object lesson. So he gets a linen belt, which is used to symbolize the pride of Judah. So this beautiful linen belt. And essentially this belt gets ruined. Uh, We also see drunkenness being used as a symbol for judgment here, the judgment of God. And then we get Another prophecy of judgment that Jeremiah is is told to go deliver to the leaders of Jerusalem and even to give it to the king and queen of Jerusalem, which we can imagine as we read the contents of the prophecy probably didn't go over very well because it consists of Jeremiah telling the king and queen to get down off their thrones. So that is a pretty bold thing to say to the king and queen of Jerusalem. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 14. So in this chapter, there is a drought and the this drought causes the people to cry out to God. And so chapter 14 records the people's response to the drought and then God's response to the people. So the first few verses describe just how bad the drought is and droughts are a very serious thing, um, you know, can cause mass starvation. And then verses seven to nine record the people's response to the drought, which is actually encouraging, right? So here, let's read verses seven to nine. Although our sins testify against us, do something, Lord, for the sake of your name, for we have often rebelled. We have sinned against you. You who are the hope of Israel, its savior in times of distress, why are you like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who stays only a night? Why are you like a man taken by surprise, like a warrior powerless to save? You are among us, Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. So we see these people acknowledging their sin and calling out for God to help them. Then chapter 14 records God's response, which might surprise us off the top until we really sit with it and think about it. Because the people seem to be saying the right things. They are acknowledging their sin and asking for God to intervene. So verse 10 is God's response. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. So essentially, the people of Judah and Jerusalem were in a cycle of sin and nothing 
nothing for them had changed, except now they were just in discomfort, right? So the people are turning to God because they need something, which is different than turning to God because they recognize their sin and honestly desire to change those patterns. So God is acknowledging that they actually don't want to change their patterns, their sin patterns. They just want to be comfortable once again, and they're going to go right back to it. So we, we, we learn here again what the Bible always tells us in the Old and New Testaments, the proper response to correction or punishment of any sort is true repentance. It's, it's figuring out what's going on and then being genuinely sorrowful, upset over the fact that you have been sinning against God, not just sorrowful or upset over the situation that you've found yourself in that's uncomfortable, right? And then there needs to be a desire to do the right things once again, to follow God once again and his way. And then there has to be an effort on our part to change, right? God, God, um, indicts the people, they do not restrain their feet. So this isn't just a one-way street. God's not just going to empower us to get over our sin without us putting any effort in. We also have to restrain our feet from from evil. We need to try. God is going to help us, uh, obviously, but we also have to put in effort. Okay, Jeremiah then begins a lament. He begins to mourn that All the other prophets in Judah and Jerusalem are telling the people that God will rescue them from this famine, that they're going to experience peace. Uh, They're not going to be invaded. The famine's going to end. And and God tells Jeremiah, because Jeremiah's like, well, God, that's great, but the message that you're giving me is contrary to the message that you're giving all these other prophets. So what's going on? And God tells Jeremiah that the prophets are actually prophesying lies, false visions, divinations, idolatries, and delusions of their own minds. So these are several categories going on here that God did not send those prophets. It's interesting that even Jeremiah was struggling with this. He himself he wasn't sure if these were false prophets until God literally gave him an opposite message. So false prophecy is definitely a thing, even when the people who are giving the false prophecies are completely convinced that they are true, because that would fall in the, in, in the category of delusion. All right. Jeremiah chapter 15, God ups the ante here for the judgment that is coming. Uh, he He says, he gives Jeremiah this prophecy, even if Moses or Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people, send them away from my presence, let them go. So the people are, go- are, are doomed at this point to judgment. They are going to be scattered among the people. Um, <clears throat> why Moses and Samuel? Well, Moses and Samuel were both arbiters of covenants between the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, the people of Israel, and God, right? Moses gave them the law and the original covenant that they agreed to, and then Samuel gave them the covenant of the kings. So he oversaw that covenant. So even if these great men that they would have even respected in Jeremiah's day, even if they stood before God, it would make 
no difference. And both Moses and Samuel were very special prophets of God as well when you go back and you look at that. So um, there's also really interesting dialogue between Jeremiah and God. Uh, you know, Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet, and we see that throughout his book. We see that in Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah here laments that he was born. He's feeling really sorry for himself. He laments that he was born because everyone around him is cursing him. Now, God reminds Jeremiah Jeremiah is going to be delivered and for a good purpose. So Jeremiah asks God to remember him in the Babylonian exile because Jeremiah loves God's word. He chose not to sit in the company of people who were just partying of revelers, but he chose rather to sit by himself because he believed the word of God. He cries that the love for God, his love for God's truth has only made him a more miserable person. He says this, why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. So Jeremiah is really going at it here. He is really bearing his heart and his soul and his negative emotions towards God. God then responds to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I'll quote now, if you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue and save you. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. So that was verses 19 to 21. So we really get to see how Jeremiah's role in this was to prioritize God first above all people, even though that was a tremendously painful thing for Jeremiah to do. He was called, much like we are called, to prioritize God and his word and his truth over our comfort and and our natural human inclination to be comforted by the other human beings around us. And Jeremiah was, obviously this was a really unique case because there was almost no one around him at all that was trying to follow God. To add to that, Mm -hmm. that loneliness that he must feel. And you think about that, like the depth, like the, the, the desire for community is such a, especially in this time, right? I know ours, we're very, live in a very private world right now, mm-hmm. but the desire for human commune, just to be with other people, just not just to socialize, but to actually have true friendship. Yeah. That was something that was deprived of Jeremiah because of he's living in such an evil world. Yeah. And God was saying, look, these people aren't actually in community. Like they're evil. They're doing evil things. And he's like, don't go to them. And it's like that. So he was put in a state of loneliness because of the evil that was there. And you think about our world state that we're in and god god obviously in god's optimal framework we're not lonely mm-hmm. but sometimes you're in situations where you are and you have to be yep and it's just, it's because you're doing the right thing for god mm-hmm. and it's not god's will for you to be lonely mm-hmm. right and, and in god's grace with jeremiah he was speaking with jeremiah so jeremiah knew he had god yeah but the the sense of human relationship to you know we, we have in the new testament is that the holy spirit flows freely to those who that believe Mm -hmm. so there's a potential a greater potential for community 
that Jeremiah didn't have. That's what it's, that's what you, when you hear Jesus say, like the prophets like longed for the days that they would see me. Yeah. Right. Because it's like they'd be alone largely. They were alone. There weren't many people who were willing to do that. And that's a that's not just a, for, in the case of Jeremiah. Like being lonely is like a detrimental thing to all humans. It it definitely is. It is. It's just, it goes against our very nature. So. Well, and and God even like. I think what's really awesome about this is that we do see that Jeremiah begins to have, he he does have this relationship to God where he can vent his humanness. Yes. He can vent his emotions yeah. and God accepts that. Tells him to yeah. repent of some things that he's saying like, whoa, you've gone too far here and you need to repent, but it's right. okay. Like I'm going to forgive you when you, when you repent yeah. of this and here's what's going on. And God even says to him, like the people need to turn to you you don't need to turn to them because they're yeah. evil, right? So they need to turn away. And we and later on in Jeremiah, we are going to see that there are a few people who did yeah. turn, like Jeremiah's scribe Baruch, right? right. And then um, there's there's a couple other officials that are for they they turn to Jeremiah and they believe his words, right? So he'll get that, but just not no, I know. ideal. I know because like to feel saying. like you're worthless. It's like it's because like it's not just because society hates you. Mm-hmm. It's all it's a it's a double uh, it's it's two way street. Society hates you, but you also want them to like you. Yes, right. It's like this double whammy where it's like no, but I want I want a community. I want to be with. I want to be your friend. But it's like but we can't do it at the expense of truth. We can't do that at the expense of love. Exactly. The expense I mean, to do evil, and so that's a terrible situation. And 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 yeah. I think it's really interesting too that God gives Jeremiah a purpose in this and he gives him hope yeah and he encourages him to continue to deliver the messages of god out of love for the people yes so he's calling jeremiah to a higher task which would have been tremendously difficult but also would have given jeremiah this sense of purpose yes but he is we are going to see him naturally go through these oscillating emotions of i'm okay i'm not okay right i'm okay i'm not okay yeah no, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really powerful. A.W. Tozer does a famous sermon on that. And is it's to see it, and you see it, the humanist coming out of the prophet, and you, you, know, you, can, you can feel for him. And it's kind of scary to think about, like, an ideal world isn't lonely. And that's yeah. the kind of world we're making for ourselves. So I, Yes, that's very I, true. But I, I know we're getting off topic, but yeah. Okay, so Jeremiah 16, um, this further pushes that loneliness idea where God tells Jeremiah not to get married or have a family because of the Babylonian invasion that's coming. So it's going to be such a huge disaster. God has withdrawn his blessings from the people and the curses that were attached to the covenant way back in the book of Deuteronomy. They are beginning to happen. So it's if Jeremiah does marry and have a family, it's not going to end well. So God's like, nope, this is this is who you are now. This is your purpose. He also tells Jeremiah not to go to funerals because the 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 death of God's people at this point is judgment from God. It's not an undeserved tragedy. It's not a natural thing of life. They are now under God's judgment. So don't go weep at their funerals. Also, don't go to their celebrations because this is not a time that we are supposed to be celebrating. You are supposed to be repenting. Um, And then God says, you know, you need to tell the people exactly why they have been rejected by me. Jeremiah chapter 17. So um, this begins with, again, an indictment of sin of the people. There's a statement from God that the man who trusts in man is cursed. They're doomed. 
versus the man who trusts in God. This person, the person who trusts in God, is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. So it does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So again, are you depending? So this goes with what we were talking about. Mm. Are you depending on other human beings to fulfill your deep longings and your need for community? This this is like rain. It comes and goes. There will be famines. There will be droughts. But the one who trusts in God, who puts his trust and his hope in God, is like a tree planted by a stream. So his roots go towards the stream. So he has this underground um, source of life, source of sustenance, and does not have to depend on humanity or his circumstances to fulfill him and keep him alive. Okay, uh, there's a really quoted verse in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But the very next verse tells us who can understand it, right? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So God then sends Jeremiah to speak in each of the gates of Jerusalem, the city gates of Jerusalem, to warn the people to stop buying and selling on the Sabbath. This is one of the specific sins that they did. They did not honor the Sabbath. It was part of the covenant that they were supposed to do. Um, So Jeremiah goes, don't bring loads of goods to the city on the Sabbath. Stop this. If you stop, you can avoid your destruction. But if you don't stop, The Babylonian invasion, the Babylonian destruction is happening. Fires will be started in these gates and it will consume the city. Jeremiah chapter 18, God sends Jeremiah to a potter's shop. Um, And the message here is that Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem um, is God's clay vessel uh, being worked. And God can choose to destroy it or reform it as he needs to, as the clay decides to respond or doesn't respond properly to pressure that he is applying. Jeremiah finds out about another plot to kill him, also in chapter 18, and he asks God to judge his accusers. In Jeremiah chapter 19, Jeremiah is told to buy a uh, a clay jar from a potter and take the elders of Jerusalem to the gate of the city that overlooks the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. Now, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, very famously in other prophets, has been described as a place of child sacrifice. Um, and Jeremiah tells them, tells the elders of Jerusalem that this valley where they practice child sacrifice will now become their mass grave and it will be renamed the Valley of Slaughter. Then Jeremiah is told to break the pot because God is going to break Judah and Jerusalem. And then he goes and he gives the same message at the temple gates. Jeremiah chapter 21, a priest named Pasher has Jeremiah beaten and put in the stocks for this message. How dare you say that God would destroy his temple? And Jeremiah prophesies that Pasher himself will be one of the ones taken into the Babylonian exile. Jeremiah, while he's in the stocks, while he's beaten, he cries out in despair to God. And he says, you know, like you've tricked me. I am staying true to your word. And yet here I am being persecuted. What happened to this? I'm going to be a bronze wall and they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to overcome me. And Jeremiah's like, so here I am, I'm being persecuted, but what choice do I have? Because I also can't stop declaring your word. What am I supposed to do? 
Uh, so again, we see Jeremiah going through these oscillating emotions like, like a pendulum, right? We see despair and then faith in God. And then he's distraught over his current suffering, but then he trusts God through it and to get him out of it. So we we see this very human nature coming through. Jeremiah chapter 21, King Zedekiah of Jerusalem sends Pasher and another priest, Zephaniah, to ask Jeremiah to inquire of God because Babylon was advancing against the city. So no one's listening to Jeremiah until his prophecies start coming true. And then the king's like, Oh, you guys better go to Jeremiah. Remember, Pasher's the one who's had him beaten and put in stocks. Needless to say, this doesn't go well, right? God tells them, you know, it's over. You need to surrender to the Babylonians. Um, and, and then you can live. You can stay in the city. Um, <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 22, because uh, obviously Zedekiah does does not do this. But in Jeremiah chapter 22, there's a prophecy that Jeremiah gave in the palace that the kings will be destroyed unless they rule justly. So at this point, Jeremiah is not always written in chronological order. So at this point, we're told that Jehoahaz, who is the son of King Josiah, had already been taken to Egypt captive, that he would die in in that captivity. He's not going to return from Egypt. Um, Jeremiah says to the king who took his place, King Jehoiakim, you're going to die and no one's going to mourn you. No one's going to be sad that you die. To Jehoiachin, he says, you actually aren't going to get a chance to rule this city. You are going to be taken to Babylon. Um, you're removed from the royal line now. Uh, and, and the verse is, even if you were a signet seal on my hand, I would take you off. And of course, this does happen. Jehoiachin rules for three months in Jerusalem and is taken captive to Babylon. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 23. This is the righteous branch prophecy, uh, which is very famous. So essentially, there's this woe to the shepherds of God's people. So the people who are supposed to be leading, the priests, the prophets, the kings. Because rather than taking care of the sheep, they're actually scattering the sheep through leading, like by leading them into disobedience to God and his ways. How God is going to solve this problem is by himself raising up a righteous branch from the stump of David. Uh, And this goes back to the Davidic covenant where God says, I will build you a house. I will build you a dynasty, he says to David, that, that will be everlasting. Okay, so the characteristics of this righteous branch is that this leader is going to be wise, just, right, um, He is going to save Judah and he is going to rule Israel and and lead Israel into safety. Um, The name of the righteous branch is given the Lord, our righteous savior. Um, And then God goes on to talk about the false prophets who have been prophesying in God's name, but not giving God's actual word and there's judgment for them. And it's, it's, it's not good. <clears throat> uh, I'll read you verses, maybe, maybe verses 30 to 32, just to give you a flavor of that judgment and, and the anger of God against false prophets and false prophecy. Uh, Cause it's, it's serious business. So verse 30, therefore declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words supposedly from me. So one prophet says something that sounds good. 
So the other one's like, oh, it sounds good. I'm going to say that too. Therefore, back, back to verse 30, therefore declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Verse 31, yes, declares the Lord. I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. Sounds like today. You see that all over YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people just saying, oh, you know, they'll have a prophecy and it declares the Lord. Mm -hmm. They're just taking words that sound like they have, you know, value and substance to them. Yeah. They're just bolstering their own claims. We need to be, just like the people of Jeremiah's day, we need to be very careful who we're listening to and, and what we're believing because just because it, it it sounds right doesn't necessarily mean that it is. We need to test it. You know, when we get into the New Testament, we're going to see there are there are markers that we can use to test prophecies. And 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 we we need to know, this is part of the reason why we need to know the, the Bible. We need to know the word of God because it's not going to contradict what God has already said in the scripture. Mm. And it's going to be like the prophecies that, that are given in the scripture. It's mm. not going to be, you know, super vague. Um, there's so much that we could say on this. Yes, but there is. We what go. we really glean from Jeremiah yeah. chapter 23 is a massive word of caution. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Massive is an understatement. Massive word massive. of caution. Be yeah. careful. Be very careful. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 24. Jeremiah sees two baskets of figs. He's given a vision. One basket is good. And one basket is very spoiled. So the first wave of exiles are explained to be the good figs that God will protect and prosper. So interestingly, in the first wave of exiles, because the Babylonian exile didn't just happen with the destruction of Jerusalem, it happened in a few a few waves. Ezekiel and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, you know, that's their Babylonian names. Uh, they, they have Jewish names as well. Some some of you get mad at me. I've got I've gotten messages. Some people get mad at me for using Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I use Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because those are the names that Daniel uses for them. He doesn't use their Hebrew names, even though they did have them. Anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> they would have been included in that basket of good figs. And the ba- the basket of bad figs are the people who are left to face the Babylonian invasion later on. So it's, it's another, this is not, this message is not going to endear Jeremiah to the people that he's speaking to because they're the bad figs, mm. right? Jeremiah chapter 25, this jumps us back to the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, and the first year of that dreadful Neo-Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah prophesies back then that the people are going to go into a 70-year captivity because of their refusal to return to God. And the cup of God's wrath is envisioned, it's pictured as a literal cup of wine that Jeremiah must make the nations drink by prophesying to them. They're going to go out of their minds. They're going to stagger, become drunk, you know, throw up, and then eventually be killed. So this is God's punishment for the great evil that has been committed. Jeremiah chapter 26. uh, This is still early in the reign of Jehoiakim, so we're still back there. Jeremiah is told by God to go prophesy in the temple. There was still a chance at this point for the people to repent, especially the priests of the temple. And his prophecy 
to the temple and the priests in it is that Jerusalem is going to become like Shiloh if there is no repentance. Remember that Shiloh was the original place where the tent tabernacle of Moses was pitched um, when the people first came into the promised land. But God allowed that, that place to be destroyed by the Philistines back in the day of Samuel before Samuel had become the high priest. Okay. Um, there are a lot of priests and prophets at this point that want to sentence Jeremiah to death, but the officials of the land, the government officials and the people won't do it. Um, and there's this really interesting back and forth with the elders of Jerusalem and the priests and prophets where they bring up um, a prophet named Micah of Morsheth who prophesied something really similar during Hezekiah's reign. And yet Hezekiah did not kill this prophet. Instead, he repented and Hezekiah and Jerusalem was allowed to live. So they're appealing to history right. at this point to save Jeremiah. But as as time goes on, we're going to see this appeal to history become less and less used as Appeal. more and more yeah. pressure is put on them by the Neo-Babylonians. Right. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 27, this jumps forward in time now. We're early in Zedekiah's reign. Zedekiah was the last king of Jerusalem. Um, Jeremiah makes a yoke, like for oxen, like for a plow. And he puts it on his neck as an object lesson. And he prophesies to King Zedekiah in front of the ambassadors of several different nations, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, who were all meeting in Jerusalem, they had all these great plans to rebel against Babylon because they were all vassal nations at that point, that they would need to bow to Nebuchadnezzar like an oxen allows a human being to put a yoke on him, or they would be destroyed because God had given the land to Nebuchadnezzar, his son and grandson. So for that time, <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 28, this is um, a false prophet named Hananiah prophesies to Jeremiah that, that no, Jeremiah, God says he will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar and bring the temple articles back from Babylon within two years. And Jehoiachin will come back along with all of the other exiles. So sure, the yoke is going to happen, but it's, it's going to be fine. And Jeremiah replies to Hananiah, really interesting. He goes, amen, like, let it be so. May the Lord do so, nevertheless. And then to, to paraphrase what he says there, basically, all the prophets before us prophesied war and disaster, but the prophet who prophesies peace should only be recognized as a prophet if his prediction comes true. So essentially, Jeremiah is like, that's great, Hananiah. Uh, let's watch and see. Right. I, I hope that you're right. <laughs> let's prove it. Hananiah takes Jeremiah's yoke that he made off his neck and he breaks it. And then God gives a prophecy to Jeremiah for Hananiah. Basically, you have broken a wooden yoke off of Jeremiah, but Babylon's yoke on you will be iron. You're going to die because you've preached rebellion against God. Right. And we're told that Hananiah actually died yeah. that year. Well, what I think is really interesting too is that with these false prophets, God does a lot of the time it seems like, especially the main, the big false prophets, God doesn't allow them just to like die in their delusion. He usually has a true prophet around that yeah. challenges them yep. to prove that they're wrong before they die. Mm -hmm. And there's something about this where it's like, is this to bring them to repentance 
or are they like or like or is it just to show that you you wouldn't repent even if the opportunity is presented to you because you're just so stubborn? Yeah. Right? It's kind of like one of those things where it's like the stubbornness of these false prophets keeps them false prophets. And it's that's what's amazing. And you even read that in, earlier in Jeremiah when Jeremiah says uh, uh we will uh, the, the people of Israel follow their own plans mm-hmm. and will everyone and everyone acts according to the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So it's kind of like the same concept where it's like all these false prophets are acting according to the stubbornness of their own evil hearts. And anyways, it's not it's good. A, and it's amazing to think that God still plants true prophets there as a form of rebuke, I think, for potential repentance. Yeah, but, if you're not will- like as a general rule, if you're not willing to be corrected, you're probably wrong. <laughs> Yeah, general wrong. Stiff, like you don't being called stiff-necked in the scriptures is never a good thing. Yeah, you only see things one way. All right, all right. Jeremiah chapter twenty-nine. So this is a record of a letter that Jeremiah sent to that first wave of exiles in Babylon. And essentially, he Jeremiah says to them, "Don't listen to the prophets that are among you right now, telling you that you're going to come back to Judah and Jerusalem, settle in. You're going to be there for seventy years. God is going to bring back your offspring, but you're 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 there for the long haul at this point." Um, Jeremiah 29, 11, this is the context of that. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We all like to quote that, but we forget, and it's it's beautiful, it's a great thing to quote, but we forget that this was delivered to a people under the judgment of God. When we're facing judgment, when we're facing bad situations that, that our sin has gotten ourselves into, God still has hope for us. He still has a plan for us. But it's not, Jeremiah chapter 21, 29, 11 should not be used as like this clarion call for nothing is ever going to go wrong because God has a plan and a purpose. Things are going to go wrong, but God still has a plan and a purpose for us. Mm. Okay. Um, Jeremiah chapter 30, this is a prophecy about how great and horrible judgment is coming to Jerusalem and Judah, but afterwards God will actually reunite Israel and Judah and bring them back to the land and the city of Jerusalem and the palace will be rebuilt. And our last chapter for this week, Jeremiah chapter 31, it continues uh, this prophecy. There is a really thematic verse in, in verses 10 and 11 that I want to read to you. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. So this is a judgment for a time. And then to add to that, verses 29 to 31. In those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, Everyone will die for their own sin. Mm -hmm. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. Mm -hmm. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Yes. And this is the the hope that comes in right there, a new covenant right there. It says it's about to come and everyone dies for their own sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because it, because Jerusalem and Judah were falling right. because of this pattern of sin and this right. pattern of rebellion that they had been raised in and they did have a chance to get out of it. Right. But there was this there was this overarching idea that that 
yeah, we're, we're paying for the, the sins of our forefathers and rebelling. That's right. That. So, so the, the concept of God's new covenant, it totally changes the perspective of the way you look at the New Testament and the Old mm-hmm. Testament in terms of how God's judgment works, mm-hmm. right? You can see why you have a different frame of reference for you know uh, the motives for why they're making everything about community, about Israel, and mm-hmm. looking at it from that perspective. Whereas in the New Testament, it's like individual people come to get baptized. Mm-hmm. It's very different, right? So, and interestingly, the Gospel of Matthew, like uh, the the Gospel author Matthew, saw a direct connection between this chapter and and yeah. and Christ because he he chooses to see he sees Matthew sees in it a double fulfillment of at least one prophecy here in Jeremiah in the life of Christ. And and that's a voice is heard in Rama mourning and great weeping, right. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted for that because they are no more. So it's interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. Interesting, interesting stuff. Very cool. We'll talk more when we get to Matthew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Okay, guys, uh, let us know any comments or questions that you have down below and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.